This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Quarantine Conversations with your host, Benjamin Boyce. Today's guest is Posey Parker, who I've had on my show before. She's somewhat of an activist based in the UK, and she is the designer of the adult human female flag or uh, advertising blitz. I don't know if that's the correct term either. In this conversation, we talk about what it's like being holed up with her family, what it's like to be a woman, but not necessarily a feminist, trying to bring more people on board with her concerns with women's rights and also what exactly are the parameters of those women's rights and uh, I get to challenge her a little bit more than I have in the past. It usually takes me a couple interviews before I feel like I've established a good enough rapport to start challenging um, the people that I'm speaking with because this, these conversations aren't about challenging they're more about mutual understanding so anyways, here's Posey Parker and they just run away with me, and then I have to, like, snap out of them and go back to previously scheduled programming. Yeah, dear, dear. Well, I'm in isolation. Uh, are you suited to that? Yeah. Well, I've got four children, and my husband's home, so it's quite nice. Oh, it's nice. You're, mm. you can, you're into the sardine living. Well, for an English family, we've got enough space. Like normally English houses are really quite little and everyone's on top of each other. But two of my kids are actually in isolation from the rest of us. So they're in their own rooms. Oh. They can't come out. Um, so the advice over here is that if you have the symptoms, you have to be isolated from your family, whoever you live with. But then your family also have to be isolated from everyone else. Okay. All right. And then That's all right. do you guys have testing? You don't know if they're positive or not. You just have to Well, they're not doing testing at the moment. I think the trouble with the testing is you then have to go and contact people. Yeah. You have to go in amongst people to get tested. So the uh, prime minister said that he's going to have tests to find out who's had it um, when we've, you know, got got control of everything. But they're all off school for the next 3 months. Wow. Okay. Mm. The schools over yeah. here were closed for six weeks. So. Oh, well, maybe. I mean, if we stem the tide of this thing, but we live a lot closer to each other, yeah. perhaps, than, than people in Canada, you know, even in the, these sort of places. Mm. So maybe. I don't know. It's quite nice. They've cancelled all of the exams. So all the GCSEs, all the A-levels, which are like the 16-year-old and the 18-year-old exams, they're all cancelled. I'd imagine uni exams are cancelled. So these are funny times, aren't they? These are, I think this is going to be a um, an interesting time for the human race and almost, if I was a theist, potentially what we need. Yeah. You know? <laughs> if I was a religious person, I would definitely be thinking this was an act of God to In, bring about some unity. Okay, yeah. Do you think that... Well, you're hoping that... Do you think it's possible? How do you think that that might help us? What do you, what do you think that might be affected? Well, I think in the UK, I don't know about anywhere else. I haven't lived anywhere else, but I certainly, I've moved to a small town and it's, if I say the word community doesn't exist in this place, then 
you know, that would be an understatement. And I, I think we live, you know, Brexit has torn this country apart. And there's still people that are absolutely, <laughs> absolutely gutted three and a half years on. And we haven't even seen any massive negative impacts. There's sort of perceived things that both Brexit Brexiteers and Ramonas have claimed is to do with one way or the other Brexit. But, hmm. you know, this country in particular needed something. So it might be good. Yeah. Uh, have you seen it affect people in your, I guess, your social circles? Because you're, you're already pretty online, right? Would that be fair to yeah. say? So how do you yeah. how do you see people uh, responding now? In your to the coronavirus stuff? Well, just to, to the... the effect of the isolation and the fear, I guess. And I've really, I've, I've probably come offline a little bit. Um, hmm. The trans stuff, so that's my, the majority of my online stuff is now trans stuff. And that's because um, I don't feel very safe online discussing personal things anymore. Oh. So I have a very small group of people that are on my Facebook, my personal Facebook. So most of my social media stuff is to do with activism. And I don't know, whilst there's still some crazy things and I still talk about it, it feels probably not the right time to talk about the i mean i will talk about it quite clearly yeah. <laughs> but it's not quite so important when we're thinking about death and isolation and the biggest sort of disease impact or viral impact of anything in my lifetime and probably the lifetime of my parents hmm. it doesn't feel too appropriate to say isn't jeremy Corbyn a pain in the arse we're talking about pronouns yeah right yeah it it definitely has the um, potential to put a lot of things in perspective that we've been kind of routing around with. Somebody brought up mm. the uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah. Right? So we, we've kind of dropped down a couple rungs into what is really important to us. And pronouns are yeah. a very effete, uh, high-level concern. Uh, when you mm. can't get bread and you're out of toilet paper, <laughs> you know, those things yeah. kind of dissolve in a way. <laughs> Well, I feel like the, the whole trans thing is kind of the reverse of Maslow. You know, the stages of the narcissism and the stages of self-interest is sort of, we reached the peak mm. and we reached the peak quite some time ago as a, certainly as a UK and a Western population. We reached that a really long time ago with most of us. And so I just feel we've been in a reverse triangle where we've been going the other way of more and more self-involved, self-indulgent, luxurious and I think it sends you mad. I've often said to my children when we've sort of talked about the Kardashians or people with billions, I'm like, I think you would not know what to do with yourself. on a, what, What's the point of those lives? Mm -hmm. They're just so vacuous. You know, that life maybe has to be a little bit of struggle every now and again to actually have any meaning. And I do realise the older I get, despite the fact that I'm a gold star atheist, I really am beginning, beginning to sound like a, a woman of God. Huh. Why, why are you, are you embarrassed by that? And why do you think that that's happening to you? Why do you think that language no, or that I'm, frame of reference is becoming useful? Well, I'm not well-versed enough to talk about the sort of the, what is it, the archetypes and, and all those things. But I think actually fundamentally, I think the lack of religion as a collective whole in this country. So I'm an atheist, but I was lucky enough to be born in a country that still was sort of steeped in Christian culture and, and tradition. 
which ultimately is do unto others. You know, some of the fundamental themes, and perhaps they exist in other religions as well. Um, and as a someone with a theology degree, I, I probably should know. <laughs> but, um, you know, these... These sort of things, are, they're fundamental universal truths. I mean, that's why I tried to study theology, because I thought I would find these fundamental universal truths, yeah. which actually manifest in religion, because ultimately, when you have a brain that thinks as much as it does and needs a purpose, needs a self-indulgent kind of purpose to this mass of cells that we are, mm. I thought that might be a human a human thing and I, I think it is and I think when you become a billionaire I, I wonder if money becomes your god and then hmm. it's all consuming do you see an attitude shift between like your generation and your kids generation with regards to how they view religion or how they view um, and how that might spill into the obsession with identity of the uh, younger crew if that's a replacement or um, I think it is a replacement. My my kids went to a Catholic primary school, and so we've always. It's interesting. British schools are appalling. The majority of British schools are appalling. The Catholic schools happen to be normal schools that just have a Catholic. There's something. There's something about the weaving of the of Catholicism within a school. I don't know whether that's a, a moment of peace. So when they would come in in the morning, they would pray. So you have like three minutes of absolute, this is the purpose of our day stuff. You know, I don't believe in God, so I don't believe it's him. Um, so you might have the purpose of the day stuff. It might be that the wider community of the parents see each other at church. So it might just be a contact and a social thing. Hmm. But whatever it is, it's a, it's a good impact on um, education. Then the other education that's good is, is private, which is means paid for in this country i know in other countries private doesn't mean that but um so now my son also has returned to a catholic sixth form and he's immensely happy he's surrounded by theists um mm. so i think it saves i think a, a really good structure of a religious belief ultimately saves these kids from the trans stuff Mm. Um, you know, not I, all of them, but Church of England is do is wishy washy, dodgy stuff anyway, <laughs> and evangelical is 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 much more active. But the old school kind of steeped in tradition religion, I, yeah, I think so. I think in in a certain way, narcissism is the ultimate form of social distancing. You you kind of get lost in yourself and. You're, mm. you're six degrees removed from everybody unless they're looking at you. It reduces human contact mm. to a very um, insubstantial or, or substanceless communication. Yeah. That you see. Well, it's not toing and froing either, is it? When you're a narcissist and everything revolves around you and everything directed to you is about you, you don't really hear anything else. I would imagine you don't really hear anyone else's emotion or feeling or situation because you're so obsessed with your own. And, and you just become nice. kind of an, an island in a way. So that, that's interesting that you, you went to the Catholic Church with your, your kids, but how did they begin to, have you seen them develop kind of a, a theistic frame of mind? And how would you, no. how did you uh, pair, they would come home with these ideas about God and then you would uh, you know, talk about. <laughs> they come home with really confused, they came home with great stuff about God. So um, 
my youngest is now 11 and when he started school so they went to a Montessori before then which is um, an Italian style like brilliant education I wish they would roll it out everywhere mm. so my my kids if my kids spilt stuff on the floor at three they'd go and get a mop and they'd mop it up and they it was just an absolutely delightful you know they've never had education like it since they left um this this place but um so my son came home and he said oh mummy I I really do um hate God and I said, oh, that's quite a strong, strong thing to say. And he said, well, at Christmas time, of course, he killed all the babies. And I was like, darling, that's Herod. <laughs> <laughs> God didn't kill all the babies. And then he said, um, and then a few months later, they obviously would do it. I mean, they did talk about God, God a lot, but they knew that we respected that, that belief, but it wasn't mm. our belief. And uh, he said, um, he said, oh, well, you know, God's Bob's Bob's everywhere and I said who's Bob and he said well God and, and he's everywhere and he's really important and I said oh do you do you believe in God and he said yeah uh, but not as much as I believe in monster trucks oh, going, okay. huh. <laughs> huh. so um but I, I just I don't know I sometimes I envy people who are religious because I just think in the moments of your darkest sort of episodes of your life to think, to believe that there is something, some purpose to that suffering or whatever, I, I would imagine it offers great comfort. So, when when you're fighting against uh, tolerance gone too far, how do you how do you not roll back tolerance too to, too much? I don't know because sometimes when I talk about things like LGBT clubs in primary schools, you know, your language is so close. To just being plain old homophobic you know how do you how do you talk about protecting children um and then saying that it's and talking about sexualization but not giving any um hmm. any room for homophobic language homophobic ideas and all that stuff but i think this is the danger though the danger with the t and the going too far is the backlash will come for all of the LGBT. It won't just come for transsexuals or trans transgender or the ideology. It won't come from it won't come from this for an ethereal kind of ideology of transgenderism. It will come for anybody that doesn't stick to male and female and conform to the traditional stereotypes. It will come for all of those people and it will come for anybody that because a lot of people that talk about LGBT and feminism talk about the, the breakdown of the family and they blame feminists because obviously without feminism women would still be in insufferable marriages mm. so they blame that I mean it's we know it that that's what that's what happens isn't it when the pendulum goes too far it will it still come right back the other way mm. it's a bit like the whole me too thing mm -hmm. you know it's um all of that stuff this overcorrection mm. then just screws everybody up a little bit do you, I, I I'm a little skeptical about that, but somebody another commenter said that there's going to be a you know, a conservative revolution or something like that, like a you know a culture war where the conservatives are going to rise up together. I, I I guess I'm I'm trying to uh, forestall that by giving inroads, trying to find some sort of middle ground. But when you talk about 
sexuality and you allow or you afford for sexual uh, variation in minors, like how do you how do you oversee that? How do you invent lines and uh, maintain boundaries between you know sexual activity and sexualization of minors by themselves and then uh, adults who could very easily just override that. And and it goes back to a, a big problem that I see that the left uh, either tries to avoid or has and, and has a hard time like looking at is that compassion is so easy to override uh, by all the other kind of lower forms. So you have this ideal of compassion, of helping everybody or, you know, making sure that everybody's liberated, but that can be very easily hijacked by envy, by people who want to game the system and get resources by lust, by people say, okay, like I can get in there now. I can, I, you know, I'm getting all this money to go in and teach the children all these different things. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's so... It's so difficult to walk the line where you say you have to have compassion, but you have to you have to give guidelines to children. You have to have rules and and make those rules not inhuman. You know, like with with a lot of the with a certain portion of the trans uh, trans women or or the trans identified uh, men or whatever is the proper term and whatever conversation we're having uh, the amount of abuse that these young people uh, experienced heightened their their gender dysphoria heightened their uncomfortability and pushed them into even more distress because uh, they they just didn't fit in. So how do you teach tolerance without it going into uh, another form of abuse? I just I don't see it's uh, an easy solution unless we can slow down the conversation and kind of curbside the some of the rhetoric to. Well, the the dysphoria thing. Uh, considering, I genuinely think it's in many cases it's not real. I don't genuinely believe that everybody who calls himself gender dysphoric is gender dysphoric. I think we can talk ourselves into all kinds of Mm. um, terrible situations. And I think that comes from also thinking about yourself for 95% of your time. Mm. You know, if if people don't do that, I mean, you know, how many, how many kids in Sudan have gender dysphoria? Yeah. You know, and it comes to the Maslow hierarchy of needs. I think it's when the triangle goes the other way. Mm. Like, Hmm. If these kids were suffering somewhat, and I I don't mean the children that have suffered trauma, that are yeah. trying to opt out of trauma, and they've been given this golden ticket that says, hey, if you become, if you come through this, and they would call that gender dysphoria, but if you if you come out of this, if you come over to this side, then you can disassociate yourself completely. Hmm. I think that's a very different thing, and I think that um, trauma pay, trauma sufferers have always found some sort of way out, whether it's addiction or yeah. bad okay. relationships or whatever it is right um yeah. but the the tolerance the whole how do you become oh, i don't know i think some things are just right and wrong you know when hmm. when we invite these adult themes into school uh i don't know at any point where it would be appropriate or even remotely beneficial for children to be talking about sexuality. I do think, at primary school, I do think, however, Hmm. I think we teach 
tolerance and compassion through osmosis and doing. I don't think we teach it with, with set lessons where you do 45 minutes of talking about how kind you can be. Okay. I think that's bullshit, really. Yeah. You know, I, 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 um, I can go and scream and, and shout at my children now for 15 minutes about being kind and tolerant. But then if I'm an asshole, yeah. then they're not really going to learn much from that, are they? Mm -hmm. So that's how you, you just teach it by doing. Um, uh, without being too specific, that I recently went into a school and there were some kids that aren't allowed to be in school. Right? This is at 11 years old. So they're not badly, they're not behaved well enough and they don't have special educational needs, but they don't behave well enough to cope with a nine till three school day. Mm -hmm. And they were so, all, and I didn't know that they, these kids couldn't be at school. Um, but anyway, they were, they were banging a metal scooter on the reception desk. They were talking very loudly. One of them was swearing and um, I was absolutely horrified. Hmm. And the head teacher sort of said, oh yeah, but, you know, they have issues. And I was like, well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that that's the right way to deal with these children, mm. that you then pander to them. A, they didn't have adult supervision anyway, so I don't really care what their excuse was for behaving like this. But I just thought, what on earth have we done that we don't set good enough boundaries during a school day that by 11, these children can't cope with school, hmm. can't do a day without behaving like absolute animals mm. i mean it just that's more tolerant I, I mean to go back to peterson he sort of i think shapiro says this as well you know kindness is not always the kindness in the in that five minutes the kind of compassionate thing to do for even the children with the most dreadful home lives is to provide a safe secure school day where they're not made to feel uncomfortable um where they know that if they sit down and they do their work, they're going to be, they're going to have a great day. And if they mess around, they're going to be stopped. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know that's not really what you asked. <laughs> well, no, it, 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 it's, it's difficult. I guess our generation is, uh, yeah, there's this, uh, there's this meme. It's kind of old now, but Gen, there's this meme where you have this kid on like one of those plastic tricycles. I don't know if you guys had them, uh, but it's like a really big plastic wheel, and then mm. it's a tricycle, and the kid's going off of a ramp, and it, and it says Gen X childhood, and then you have a picture of uh, I guess what's Gen Z or the millennial childhood. It's, it's, everything's coated in foam. They have the the helmets on, like like the you know like the safe space coddled kid. And now it seems like now we're seeing the uh, the outcome of too much coddling. And the big question now is how do we how do we toughen these kids up? How do we reintroduce authority? Um, uh, uh, like a strong coronavirus. Yeah, That's how we do it? Really? <laughs> like like some sort of just like weed out all the weak ones. <laughs> well, I do think they're going to have to buckle up, aren't they? They, they are going to have to grow up a little bit. Mm. There mm. is going to be some of that that. Um, mm. You know, I've got one of my kids uh, is old enough to drive, but won't get a driving um, a license. And my yeah. husband says, just apply. And I'm like, I'm not applying. He, he, can apply. <laughs> he wants to drive. He can apply for the driving license. You know, that this is this is a lesson that if you don't do it, you don't get it. Yeah. Um, and we've always sort of my kids will say, can you can you do this for me? And I say, well, can you do it yourself? 
And what you need to do is you need to try it first. And if you've given it a good go, I will give you some instructions and then I I will help or I will do it. Mm-hmm. But you, you know, I, I, where's it going to come from? I don't know, but I spoke to, I went on a chat show, Julia Hartley Brewer. And sort of people at that radio station had talked about the 27-year-olds or, you know, 30-year-olds. They can't cope with a bit of kind of crossness. You know, so if you ask somebody in an office situation, can you post this letter? It's really urgent. They don't do it. You now can't say, why haven't you done it? Yeah, okay. You can't even say that because that's infringing on their kind of safety and the, uh, okay. the self-esteem. Yeah. But don't you think it's interesting? The more we've tried to nurture self-esteem, the less we seem to have. Well, I just, I think, I think, I think it's, too, I think it's, it's not just that it's, it, it goes in two directions. One, we try to do all this stuff with self-esteem and two, I'm just thinking in media, I'm thinking in very broad terms, the, the authority is usually the bad guy. The, the strong person is usually the bad guy. The, the, you know, like the, the hard headed dad that comes in, like the general father is like the one that's imposing so much trauma. But the, again, that's a short-term. That short-term trauma of having to abide by the rules of the house actually gives you long-term stability. And mm-hmm. we, and so self-esteem. It's all empowerment, and it's no etiquette. It's all you, you go, girl. But no, like you hold back, girl. Right? Like it's all. Yeah. It, it only runs in one direction, which eventually leads to narcissism, to self-involvement, to be being unable to uh, accept criticism, and then actually become better or refine yourself and your behavior so you don't actually even grow that you're weak your whole life because you don't have that firm structure so has feminism um had an impact on the uh attack on authoritarianism there you can look at um a lot of media uh in the last 20 years and see a refrain at least in america of kind of crapping on men you know, crap, crapping on men and lifting up women. And th- that's kind of like, that's the, that's the party line in media. It's all about supporting women and, you know, kind of. Uh, Which is ultimately bullshit though, isn't it? Because they're also yeah. the people that saying that women have penises. So they're, they've kind of gone, Hey, celebrate you, but also let everyone invade your space. And we don't really believe you, but we do believe you if you say mm. you're sexually assaulted, but we don't believe you if you say that you know what a woman is. I, you know, I, I, I got, I got a little bit of flack from this, but it doesn't really matter. The people who give me flack for this aren't really understanding my argument. But I, th- I think I agree with you that that what eventually happens is that if you if you lift up women as the good person and push down men, or if you lift up femininity as the ideal and push down masculinity as somehow like bad or uh, you, mm. know, you kind of crap on it, then that incentivizes men to adopt the female because men are just naturally needing the will naturally do everything they can to gain power. I, I think most people will do that, but I think men are biologically inclined to, to rise to the top of a hierarchy. And that would be your AGPs and your transvestites who are happily, that would be the, so the men mm. that, are, that want power, which is, which would be described by women as a masculine thing, which, uh, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that stuff because I quite, mm. I'm quite an empowered human. Yeah. Um, my husband's very, very masculine. That's what I like about him. Mm-hmm. I'm relatively feminism, uh, fem- feminism. I'm relatively feminine in my appearance, but I'm probably, you know, I, I'm. If we went out and there was something to complain about, 
Yeah. I'd probably do the complaining. Yeah. Right. And then if somebody was rude to me, he would step. In. So we, I'll tell you a yeah. very quick story, quite a personal story, but it's funny. So we had these neighbors who wouldn't cut their mammoth trees, right? And they were blocking, and I've got a really big garden, they were blocking some of the light. So I'd ask them if they would mind cutting the trees. And I'd gone around looking for my cat, actually, and the guy was very friendly. And then when I said, oh, actually, can, can we talk about the trees? What's your routine with the trees? He got really, like, like this straight away. He was very cross. And I said, I'm just wondering, as well, you can see the growth. And I said, well, I, I can't. But I was just wondering, do you do it, like, every year? How much do you cut them to? Because blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he was not very helpful. And then eventually I sent him a letter and said, look, I could get a solicitor to make you cut the trees or I could go to the council, which cost me quite a lot of money, but it then means that you would have to maintain your trees every year. So I'm just asking you politely. Anyway, then he started cutting the trees on a Sunday morning with massive gravy branches coming in my garden. So um, I just went out and said, what are you doing? Look, it's fine if you don't want to talk to us. They live in a different road, so we we never see them. I said, it's fine if you don't talk to us. You could have put a note through the door, knowing that I've got kids and pets, saying, look, we're going to cut this on Sunday. Anyway, so he comes round. The, the guy comes round very cross. And um, I'm at the door, and I'm all of me. I'm at the door. And I said, look. And I think it was when Trump was getting elected. And I said, oh. And every time he spoke, he just kept talking over me. And I said, you remind me of a presidential candidate. <laughs> so, <laughs> or something like that. And I was like... You just don't let women speak. And then, and I said, I'm just saying, and all of a sudden he started listening to me, right? And I said, oh, well, that Trump comment got him, didn't it? Huh. I carried on. And then he was, he, I said, look, we're going to be neighbours for a really long time. I'd like them not to fall out. Can we just, like, next time, you can just cut the trees, just let me know. It's fine. Anyway, he walks away. I turn around, and there's my husband <laughs> stood right behind me like this. Uh. So... That moment that switched for me where that man just started to be nice <laughs> was because my massive husband was stood behind me. It was so, and I was like, yeah, he listened to me with my fantastic <laughs> comment about Trump. Let's shut him up. But no, it was nice. So anyway, so I, huh. I just I just wonder hmm. if those men then, the hyper-masculine men who then, like the ex-military guys yeah. who then switched to being women, whether that is further sort of, masculinity and that's and that is all tied up in hatred of women and and you know yeah. maybe if you serve in the military and you're in the front line and you're still not respected when you come home maybe you maybe that hatred just builds or maybe they are just porn sick i have no idea there's a a, a refrain at least in your area of this by by, by which I mean the, the British argument on the on these issues, where it's uh, one of the, like the uh, blowbacks that you and Graham and and Maya Forstatter get. You guys are rude. Uh, you guys are you're impolite. Which which goes back to you're not being kind. You're not being kind mm. enough. And and how do I I would I still think it's really important to be. Uh, political and and to always make inroads but not so far but but knowing where to draw the line because what you're trying to do is is implement some sort of line that's being eroded and (laughs) it's it's just interesting how you guys get attacked um for being rude uh you know in in very actually pretty blunt and boorish ways you guys get attacked you know Um, someone's got to keep saying it though right that's that's you know 
the if you stop saying the things that need saying, they will they will be unsaid, and then nobody will be able to say them. Mm. So because I'm never going to be invited into the polite fold, mm. um, and because I don't think that's going to happen to me, I just feel that it's ultimately my duty mm-hmm. to keep saying it plus i've always been the person if someone if someone makes me feel uncomfortable or is rude or is um sort of infringes on my boundaries as soon as i feel that i do that so as soon as i feel that someone's trying to take the word woman i will use the word woman on a daily basis okay. i will i will make sure that i name men as men because i do th- julia long does has um talked about this a lot and if you stop naming men as men it um completely uh you're gaslighting yourself i think there's a you are gaslighting. but but you also but but also what happens when you don't name as men as men is you don't see male violence and you don't see you mm-hmm. can kind of um erase some of the things that we should know about about men mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that then that borders on the kind of all men, and I don't mean that because, yeah, you know. I just I wonder if uh, you, so you're going to start doing interviews. Mm. I wonder if uh, you're going to how you're going to be an interviewer, how you uh, are going to uh, allow somebody else to to state their case, and how you're going to negotiate. You know, if somebody if are you going to have people on your show that disagree with you and. Uh, and yeah, I'm not that. inviting people. Well, I, I don't want to invite people on for an argument. Okay, you know, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not, um, not faulty. Uh, no, what's it called? Uh, Monty Python. It's not going to be coming for a five minute argument with me. Yeah, uh, I'm really interested. So, one of the people I've got lined up is a lady called Bettina who was uh, roundly criticized in Australia. She's, um, who's Randy? I don't know, if, pardon. You said Randy criticized Patina? Randy, Randy. Um, her name's Patina uh, Aunt. So she's, uh, I've seen her uh, have a chat with Jordan Peterson. I think she's a bit of an anti-feminist, but I'm, I'm intrigued by, by her mm-hmm. and, and the things she talks about. You know, I'm in, I'm intrigued. I, I'm, I'm guessing this is why you interview. I mean, I want to find out the very heart of why people hold their opinions. Because I think for most of us, right at the heart of what we do, they're very similar things. They just get slightly tilted, you know, on the way to our understanding, which ultimately shapes our beliefs. But I think ultimately, most people think that they're quite good people. I I would imagine a lot of anti-feminists think that they're fighting a terrible injustice. Um, And... Uh, you know, I had uh, had quite a long conversations with the MRAs who came uh, to the women's uh, the women's corner speakers corner thing. Um, <laughs> Just have to appropriate and, uh, the whole thing, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, women did kind of redo the whole thing. Two hundred and fifty thousand suffragettes wow. uh, opened that whole thing. But you know, you now have to get permission from the royal parks in order to have in order to organize assembly at Speaker's Corner, where we, as the home of freedom of expression, Mm. you have to get permission. Um, So we assembled elsewhere and then walked over, which is absolutely fine, apparently. (laughs) You know, I talked to those men, and a lot of the MRAs, as far as I can tell, have had really crappy times in the family courts. 
And that has taken them on their kind of journey and woken them up, probably for some of them, for the first time they ever noticed an injustice, you know, in their personal lives or, or any, any lives. I think there's a lot of people that don't, probably more men than women, and that's also something I want to explore, uh, that men don't really try and solve kind of global issues or there's probably less environmentalists uh, that are men. I think women, there's something about women, this kind of constant auditioning to be nice people huh. that they do, which um, is a virtue signaling thing much more than men. You know, it's, it's really interesting, but it's also very shallow for most people. Uh, and I've often wondered whether ultimately kind of social, what's it called, um, evolutionary biology would, would mean, you know, like when somebody, they talk about the trauma of a baby, can experience, can have an imprint of the trauma of their grandmother, right? So that trauma goes through generations. And I'm wondering if we women have an imprint of the social glue, because if you look at the way that uh, humans have always been organized, I'm guessing that women would have to be the social glue because we're not, you know, we raise the children, so we've got to keep that unit together. And I wonder if that is also the reason that women go along with stuff a bit easier, whether we're just more susceptible to try and appease. There's, but that's something I, you know. I'm, I'm reading a book that's going to be released in uh, J June by Abigail Schreier, and it's about the rapid onset gender dysphoria females, specifically in America. And she talks, speaks or quotes a psychologist that examines the way that, that young girls communicate and how young girls communicate. They're always... Um, uh, sympathizing with their female friends and and how that that sympathy actually allows them to detach from reality and just absorb the reality of their friend and how that that co-rumination actually uh, causes like depression uh, to spread through a, a peer group and how that social contagion females are particularly uh, apt at sympathy, but also that comes with a, you know, a trade-off of being apt mm. at just uh, all assuming the same cause, all assuming the same worldview, assuming the same detachment from reality, assuming the same identity or, or, or ideology. I wonder if that's true throughout the globe, because if it's true throughout the globe in all cultures, then there must be a biological element to that. It can't just be the way, I mean, feminists will argue, and I've got four children, I think I've mentioned it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I've got three boys, they're all quite different, but they are still boys. And then I've got my daughter, she has a very different journey through puberty than the boys. Um, and I had a different journey. I, you know, I, I'm, I've always been a bit like this, so, uh, but there are fundamental things, I think, that happen to girls, and there's a um, what's her name? Amanda Jane Baker, I want to call her, but I've probably got that wrong. She's a, she did a study of the changes in the teenage brain um, through puberty. And those changes are bigger than from naught to three, which you wouldn't imagine, would you? So all our sort of learning of language and all of those recognizing face, all that, all of that stuff is nothing in comparison to the teenage brain changes. And the universal truth of teenage brain is the move towards peers, so more embarrassment, mm -hmm. uh, which, and then more needing to to be relevant and for your mm -hmm. peers, which is why, even though you know it causes cancer, 
you start smoking, which is why a kid is more likely to get run over if he's with his mates than if he's on his own. Because the fear of looking like a dick and standing on this when everybody else has run across the road is much more overwhelming than the fear of being hit by a car. Yeah, yeah. So if that's true for all teenagers, I wonder if there's fundamental truths between male and female um, when it comes to to those sorts of things. I wonder if the girls in, in Nepal are quite bitchy through like their adolescence. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, because we know that we kind of, I think it's quite universal that, that boys are more likely to shove someone. That, that can't just be socialised. No, no. Yeah, and yeah, that, the, the whole... I think that there's a a lot of uh, conversation between biology and culture constantly, and then a lot of variation in biology and a lot of variation in culture. And if you say that there's no differences between male and female, then you're eventually going to get into self-ID is the only thing that matters. But even in self-ID, the male is going to exhibit a different way of identifying as a woman than the female will identify as a man. And part Mm -hmm. of my work is to... um, is to present the stories of people who have transitioned or have deeply thought about it or have detransitioned um, in order for people to really understand them as human beings going through a journey, not as political pawns that are taking over spaces. Kind of get away from from the argument that you and Graham uh, are kind of involved in and, and go down one level to the individual trying to cope with what they have to go through. And then um, once you get to that level, then you can start to see the reality of the male brain, the female brain, and how identity is mixed and matched up in that. I just, I, I fundamentally think that there is no such thing as trans. There is no such thing as genuinely being um, born in the wrong body, having the wrong sex, being more comfortable as the opposite sex because those things don't aren't real so one one of those things that you said is different than the other it could be true that there's no such thing as uh, being born in the wrong body but it could also be true that it would be a lot uh, more comfortable to be seen perceived and to act as somebody with a different sex but it's still kind of a pretend thing right so Hmm. i don't know if 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 the essence of, if that is how you act in public mm-hmm. and the route from that to the center of who you are, which hmm. God knows what that is or where that is or how that is. But I, I would say it, it's your body. So you're not, hmm. there must be a part of you at all times however you present if it's not genuinely who you are which it isn't because your body is who you are Hmm. then there must be some level of disconnect somewhere that can't be right you know we know that that people with alzheimer's and dementia often revert back and then become very distressed Hmm. so we know that we know that somewhere here at the center of a person they know and i can't imagine how exhausting it must be to Hmm. kind of audition for who you think you want to be on a daily basis which Mm. that must be how it is if you look at someone like Blair White he just exhibits these massive mannerisms all the time Mm -hmm. you know in a way that I could sit here and slob out and Mm. I don't know 
do a male pose and I'm still a woman hmm. mm-hmm. and people are still not going to, I just, I don't know. Wouldn't we be better off digging through what happened to somebody to make them feel like that? rather well, than... Why, why not allow them to sculpt the person that they want to be? I mean, wh- okay. This... Do you think anybody really does that? Well, I, what 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 is the root or or like the, the essence of your disagreement with uh, somebody like Blair White presenting that way? Why why does it really matter? Um, I don't think it doesn't matter. As in, I, I, I'm not offended. I don't think that um, I, I still don't want Blair in female only spaces necessarily. Um, but I just hmm. it's just not true. Hmm. Um, I don't know that I just I can't I I guess I can't quite believe that you can uh, genuinely see yourself as this thing that you've created I don't think you can because I don't think we're not constructions are we we're just I think half the time we can't get away from who we are we can try and self-improve but that's quite different to changing fundamentally how we see ourselves well uh, but if a man feels better in a dress what does that matter like and Mm. like like rose of dawn like like fairly uh conservative individual uh presents very feminine presents very female um but the the presentation is just going into the shopping department and and doing a, a certain level of uh upkeep that women normally do i mean you you put on makeup you you do things with your hair right Uh, so you're producing yourself constantly isn't that exhausting and but you receive some sort of benefit from doing that right there's something about that that actually boosts who you are uh, gives you some yeah but i've so i'm expected to do this as a woman now some women have escaped that socialization quite well okay it is not a choice i've made to appear like a woman to be something that I'm not I'm just I just Mm. think this episode in time where we have you know for all types of massive body modification yeah I I just don't know if it's a if it's a good bit of human history that we Mm. slice and cut and modify the human body to match supposedly what is inside the brain okay but and I go on sorry okay how how could you give up God or, or go against the church, which is an institution of your culture that's inc- incredibly deep, but you still, you couldn't deny the socialization of being female and, and going through that. Well, the I didn't give up that. God, did I? I was raised in a household with, without God. Okay. But so my, my, my father's an atheist. But, but if you could, if that was a, if, if the socialization of living in a Christian culture was easier to let go of that Christian culture um, by your family, I guess you were, you were introduced to that, but the, that femaleness was something that you can't resist. I'm trying to push against that, that you're socialized to, to present yourself as that. Is it, is it, are you completely serving culture by, by going through the rituals of maintaining a, a feminine and uh, beautiful appearance? <laughs> Well, do you not receive any personal benefit from it? Okay, it serves you. Of course, I do. Yeah, of course, I do. I'm I'm pretty sure that if I'm made up like this and I go out in the world, I'm pretty sure I'm received by certain parts of society in a in a more relevant 
special way mm. than if I had no makeup and didn't wear very nice clothes and so on. Absolutely. And if a man did that and found the same uh, boost? I don't think, yeah, but most of the, mm, I know what you're saying, and I do, from a from a personal, person-to-person -person point of view, yeah. without picking on individuals, uh, which I did, I'm fully aware that I'm a hypocrite here, because I did pick on Blair. Um, but if you, if you take it back from the individual, which obviously you're very interested in the individual, then I just don't hmm. see how living something which in your deepest darkest moments you know is a lie i don't see how that's really better for the the person than actually getting through it mm. and accepting and being able to be comfortable however you were i'm wondering how this is manifest that all of a sudden we've got so many of these men if it isn't something significant that's happened okay. whether it's porn or whatever it is to society something has happened mm. okay. it's changed this i just i don't know if you can say that it's a lie unless you go to the individual and and listen to their reasons uh, why they would want to present as the opposite sex i just i don't know if you can blanket say it's a lie um if if they're adopting something that they resonate with what if someone blacked up then on a daily basis okay like the, the racial argument which mm. only works in one direction because the trans rights activists <laughs> will say, well, you wouldn't kick a black woman out of the restroom, but you'll kick a trans woman out of the restroom. But then if you turn back and say, well, you wouldn't put on blackface, but you'll put on woman face. Like, right. So the stigma only works one direction. Well, so like all the, all the women in China to, with like whitening creams or the fact that in sort of in Africa, uh, there are, there are skin whiteners, mm -hmm. you know, those sorts of things that ultimately hmm. you you should Damage. be resolving the person to live in the body that they have that's got to be hmm. the optimal thing for any human yeah but but we're tinkerers i mean we're always going to want to do a little bit i mean i i'm i'm kind of shaggy like i should actually have a lot more production than i do for these things if i wanted my channel to grow i'd put a little bit more effort into the glossiness but you do get a benefit from tinkering with your appearance and and the, they're you know, there's there's societies where the men actually do more presentation than the women do. So there's yeah. there's a cultural aspect to that, and there's a cultural taste. And I, I I see what you're saying, but I just I need to push against that, and not because it's rude that to to give the blanket statement that all trans people are lying with themselves. But you can't. I just don't see that you can say that without actually approaching it on a person to person basis. And at the same time, I do understand that you're you're talking on a cultural level when it becomes accepted where uh, self-ID can you can just identify into whatever sex like I don't agree with that I don't agree with that but I still I still think it's important to reach the individuals that are feeling that distress and 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 connect th with their truth and to see how far that self-modification is necessary for their well-being mm. I, I just find the truth I just find the word truth uh, uh, okay I, one that did, I, did I say something about personal truth? Their truth? That yeah. was a little triggering for you. I, <laughs> I, I afford some subjectivity. I, I ultimately, I ultimately think that we can't have we can't have a good society without deep 
conservative tradition, but I, I like the wiggle room. I, I want to recognize that there's, there's a lot of wiggle room, and, and the human being's always going to be playing with that gray area. And mm. there, there's certain personalities. Somebody who's creative like me, I need to twist things. I need, if I find yeah. a cliche, I need to twist it. How far can I twist it before it breaks or nobody can pay attention to it is, a, is the, the second question that I need to answer. But Yeah. Look, I'm happy for the... Look, if somebody genuinely... I still don't believe it, but if someone okay. genuinely, genuinely believes that they are happier presenting however they want, mm-hmm. that's fine by me. My strong objection, even though I don't believe it, I don't need to believe it. They're not doing it for me. So I just need them to stay out of women's spaces, women's rights, women's groups. And I would... Hmm. You know, and the two people that we've mentioned today, I'm pretty sure that they don't. I'm pretty sure they are happy to use women's private spaces. Mm. And so at that point, it does become an issue. Okay. Um, hmm. You know, but I'm, I'm certainly not going to say to someone like Rosa Dawn, who I have met, uh, that you know, he needs to stop dressing however he wants and he needs to do whatever I think is right Mm -hmm. to his body to make me feel better and more comfortable because I think holistically for all of human race, we should be deadly truthful to the objective truth. You know, it's at the end of the day, it's none of my business, but just on a broad kind of come on now, you know, should Mm. we be putting injections in people's asses so they have big asses? No, we shouldn't. Should should women walk around with silicon breasts? No, they shouldn't. Okay. Should we mess around with surrogacy? Absolutely not. Hmm. You know, there's there's lots of things I think just because we can do, I don't think it's I don't think it's good to do it. Yeah, I'm I'm just saying that there's a difference between uh, um, a bra, a bustier, and foot binding, but they all exist on a spectrum. Like we all do a little bit of production in in the direction yeah. that that pleases us aesthetically or pleases other people or that the that speaks to how we want to please other people but then there's certain pl- parts where it starts to get really self-destructive um not <clears> only for yourself but for society and uh so i just want to encourage you to to, to if you're going to do interviews like interview agp interview uh interview these different uh tra- trans individuals trans identified individuals and stuff and and uh see see where that gray area is um or, or how far you can get away from objective truth in the in the cultural domain. I just I just see so much wishy washiness at the same time trying not to you know trying to reserve some sort of stability. Well, I think it's a very sad thing if you you know if you change your body in a way that you can't experience all the pleasures that your body may offer. I think that is quite a sad. Mm state of affairs and i don't see how you can do any genital surgery without it having a very big impact on one of the things i think is about the best thing about being a human being Hmm. um you know an intimacy with someone that you love uh especially for women because intimacy with someone that you don't like very much is pretty awful so uh i'm pretty sure that men can just have a great time whoever uh, not all men i'll 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 say that deservedly because i can say that but just the mechanics of our bodies yeah you know if you if you change the way your body can can experience the most pleasure then i think that's a really sorry state of affairs Mm -hmm. to 
like even lip injections. So my husband and I went up north to Manchester. I've never seen so many filled lips in my whole life. It was frightening. And it was kind of, these people weren't particularly well off either. So they were very bad lip jobs, loads of them. And I just thought, what do I want to do with my lips? I want to kiss, eat, eat um, drink, speak. Mm. None of those things you can do as well if you have, oh, you got, I mean, can you, is it like being punched in the face? Can you feel, <laughs> feel? If well, you've you look got... great on Instagram for about three or four <laughs> days or maybe a week or two. But like the point of, what's the point of that? Your mm. lips are for talking. Mm. You then render them, well, you know, you, you render them not as effective as, as what they're for. That's in, that's madness. Okay. I, I, you know, I zero in on, on how refreshing your stance is. Like, like what, what are you doing to yourself? I, I, I understand that. But at the same time, like, I'm just trying to resist because I think that there could be more affordance, more sympathy with people who, who've decided to do certain things, uh, then are afforded. And if you can show their stories as they are, then it takes the wind out of the sails of like the radical trans rights activists. It takes the winds out of the sails of the accusation of transphobia. If you actually meet trans people on their level yeah. and, and open up dialogue and give them the ability to speak um, like on a political level, on a tactical level. Well, aside from the ones that, that aside from people that transition through sort of an absolute hatred of women or autogynophilia. And I, I mean, the, the really nasty kind, hmm. then I obviously anyone willing to do huge amounts of surgery to their bodies to try and fit whatever their brain says deserves every sympathy. I just I'm just still not going to have them in the in the women's toilet. But yeah, I'd be I you know you can't. There's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference between an, somebody who's gone through the whole surgery who just quietly wants to get on with their lives and has tried to adjust their body in a way that makes them want to get on with their lives, right? Mm. There's those people. And then the, there's the people that demand that everybody sees them as they see themselves, that kind of, that I think for some of these kids, I think by the time they're 30, they'll just think they were idiots mm. when they were like in their early 20s and when they were at university, these rich little kids that go and protest feminist meetings and then they'll wonder why they got these double mastectomies or ruin their breasts binding. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I'm not without compassion for these people. Mm. I just think somebody has to say sometimes that's, yeah. that's you know, it's crazy. Mm. Crazy. I, I can see that, that there, there should be a, a, an understanding of people as, as, as individuals and, and really kind of, looking at people and not, not saying the blanket statement that they're all lying. I just, I don't, maybe they are, maybe they're not, but unless you talk to them, um, how do you really know? How can you really judge people? I don't know. Well, let, if you take it something like, um, female genital mutilation, those women that do that to their daughters that, that had it done to themselves, they don't know that they don't know that what they're doing is harmful. They're doing it with all the right reasons, but we know that that's wrong. So just because somebody transitions, because they're doing it for them, for all the right reasons, because they really feel it and they really know and they're absolutely positive and they felt this way, you know, when they retrospectively kind of rehash their entire childhoods and they do that, then 
I'm in the same position with that person as I am with somebody who does FGM to their daughter. Um, I'm not comparing the harm. I'm comparing the the status of that person doing something which I believe is ultimately harmful and not right and therefore not true. Not mm. true. Mm. So the woman who thinks that would protect her daughter from sort of uh, will be clean and virtuous and closer to God or whatever it is, whatever the reason, mm-hmm. I know that's not true. Mm. Uh, now, maybe lie is too big a word because that implies some sort of active dishonesty well yeah i I guess now you're speaking about a mother doing that to her daughter or son uh, pushing their son on uh, estrogen or puberty blockers and stuff which is a different conversation than an adult individual deciding no i just mean that no i mean that woman is forget that she's doing it to someone else but for that woman that is the right thing to do that she believes that with her whole heart even the suffering of that child, she believes, is absolutely right. Now, it's not right, and so therefore it is a lie because mm. it's not right. That's the same as somebody believing with their whole heart and mind that they are born in the wrong body or that they they really are the opposite sex, which I guess was the, the point you made, which is about someone feeling more comfortable. And I just wonder even that, hmm. whether that is genuinely true that ultimately you know do you do you walk around thinking any minute someone's going to find out that that you're going to forget that Mm -hmm. i don't know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's what i mean yeah yeah it's just it's it's difficult it's difficult to reach people who are there unless you change the way that you approach them it's, Who me? Well, I'm 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 speaking in general. I'm speaking actually. The, the biggest problem is is the young women who get swept up into this and then start doing things with their body and cut off all ties with their parents and any sort of resistance is seen as transphobia. It's how do you reach those people? How do you reach those those girls that are, you know, uh, working out some trauma or discomfort in in a very destructive way? Um, do you think they can be reached? I don't know. I don't know. I think it's just got to become unfashionable. Yeah. Well, how do you make it unfashionable then? Well, I guess everything has a cycle, doesn't it? Yeah. I I just wonder whether there'll be enough. I don't, I, I really don't know. I've never seen a fad like this that leaves such terrible scars. Mm. And that everything else you've managed just to get away with just having bad photos of bad hair. Well, yeah. I mean, the the, the anorexia thing is a little bit uh, more out there, but yeah. The, the but this is a new anorexia, isn't it? So how do... It's a different concept. Did you have these bangs back in the 90s? What, the sticky-uppy thing? Yeah, the sticky-uppy things. Was that just a California thing? I or might have done that. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I had long, curly hair okay. Bush. In, the, in the 90s. I was... Yay. I wanted to that? be Nana Cherry. I wanted to be black. And I wanted to be Nana Cherry. Do you know Nana Cherry, the artist? No. Who's that? Is that a oh, musician? She's, um, uh, she didn't have very many songs. But I loved her. I wanted to be just like her. I went through a few months of being absolutely gutted that huh. I would never actually look anything like Nana Cherry. Huh. What's and then I went on that? to Marilyn. <laughs> then you went? Huh? You went on and to Then what? I went on to being obsessed with Marilyn Monroe. Oh, Marilyn. Oh, okay. That that kind of stuck. Yeah, when, when I was 15. I, I, my parents bought me a clock. This little plastic 
pink clock that was like an envelope and inside were photos of Marilyn. That was it. You had a little Marilyn Mm. shrine. I did. Not much. I didn't have much on my wall, but uh, (laughs) it was, it was Marilyn. And when I, before Mm. she had her nose done and I had brown, long curly hair and she did as well. uh, I remember someone telling me that I looked like her and that was it. That was it then. Hmm. I mean, she did have a nose thinned, I think. And she obviously didn't have, she didn't have these eyes. She didn't look anything like me, but I took it and I I went with it and it stuck with me huh. for 30 years. Huh. But no, with the, with the young girls, I just, um, you know, anorexia, most people grow out of, don't they? Maybe they, they revisit it their whole lives, like for some people. But most of my female friends and relatives have had eating disorders of some description for a little bit of time. Mm. And... Um, I do think with this, though, I mean, you could then eat, get better. But even the mild cases now, they're being swept into surgery so quickly mm-hmm. that, I mean, you can't, you can't, can you? You can't move on from having both your breasts removed. I think maybe we should be criminalising um, surgeons. Maybe, oh, maybe make it that they can't do it. That's what yeah, I would do. I would not want to be... I would not want to be a surgeon, uh, that kind of surgeon on the day of judgment. I, I can say that as a mild theist. <laughs> I just wish, I hope there is a God for those sort of people, to be uh, honest. Yeah. I certainly hope there's Satan. And I could go and spend eternity with him. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, I just, can you imagine, right? Can you imagine going into work? Have you seen the pictures of the guys with the, the two the buckets cake. of breasts? Yeah. And the cake and all that? How can you, do you, do you think they just think money? Or do you think some of them think they're helping? Because I find it really difficult knowing a few surgeons and what they're like. I find it really difficult to think that they are interested in helping anyone at all. Hubris, I think, can trick a man into think that he, he's kind of serving, he's, he's the God, the beneficent God. Like he's dispensing his gift upon the the suffering individual, and um, I think that there's probably a probably a myopia or, or such a huge wall of pride that disallows them to look the consequences. Um, and plus, the, the entire establishment's on on their side and training them to think that way too. So and this stuff's very entrenched. It, it's an entire cultural cultural zeitgeist. From from the girls who are transitioning to the medical establishment, that's uh, pandering. But they've been planning this for ages, haven't they? When you start unraveling, hmm. if you look, I don't know what happens in your Senate. Uh, no, what what do you have in Canada? I'm not in Canada, yo. I'm American. Oh, I always think you're Canadian really? because of Megan. Yeah. Oh yeah, why. that's kind of slightly offensive, but I love Canadians, so um, <laughs> I'm not terribly. So in America, right? So in in the UK, we have something called Hansard, where they record everything that's ever said in Parliament yeah. and the House of Lords, so we can reference it. So there must be something in America, and I bet C-span. if you uh, C-SPAN, okay, so there must be C-SPAN discussions of this shit from about two decades ago, mm-hmm. if not more. And then there must be some sort of history of people. You know, if you're going into surgery and in America it's very well paid and then someone's like, hey, I did five vasectomies last week. Uh, I made like 300 grand. Then why wouldn't you think, oh, 
I'll specialise in that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a girl, a local girl, apparently, who has kept her genitals, but also had a penis made. Wait, what? She's kept... This was from a tradesman that came around my house. Okay. <laughs> to measure up Sounds like some sort of Japanese anime kind of thing. So she's got well, so both? she's then? kept it, yeah. Oh, okay. Mm. Apparently, there, I have seen pictures where men... Okay. Have just Wait, inverted... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I got just content warning. Okay, go go forward. Oh, sorry. Where they where there are non-binary surgeries now, or there are surgeries where oh. where somebody may want an orifice okay. but keep their penis. Okay. So they've inverted something else. I'm so sorry. I didn't wow. even think about that. <laughs> um, so so there's you know there's these new evolving. Yeah. Well. Did you write something about transhumanism, trans transsexualism, transgenderism, transhumanism? Somebody it just wrote that. some sort of well-researched article. No, that wouldn't be me. Okay. But uh, there are some out there. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, that's ultimately where this is headed. Like, wh- why not be a cat human? Like, why not? Why not go through and get some wings? You know, Mo- remove a couple limbs, put them on your chest. You know, you can go grabby things like this. Easier to type that way. I don't know. See coronavirus. Get a baby installed right here, and you can have like, you know, like uh, total recall style. You know, have a wise entity that jumps out of your stomach and gives you a haiku every twenty minutes or something like that. I don't know. But do you think then that this viral epidemic, this thing, okay, corona, yeah, corona, yeah. Do you think maybe then that we will just get reacquainted with? I mean, you said it, didn't you? We'll get reacquainted with ourselves in a more meaningful way. You know what? I think I think it might be. I mean, in my household, I, I live with a very high-powered woman, and I'm I'm high-powered in a very weird way where I do nothing, and that's how I produce what I produce. You know, so I, I like just hunker down, and and but she's always out there just doing and working and working and working, and now she's got to be home and now we're actually rebuilding our relationship in a way and so it's not just spending time alone um which would mean spending time on the internet spending time in my own head but like actually spending time in close quarters with another human being is what's going to reboot us into thinking oh a human being is a complex entity that says weird things and has a weird odor and moves through space and takes up root the room and and has different patterns of their life that might be what helps us to understand the human condition a little bit more being kind of holed up with each other um instead of just blasted out in this matrix style mm. disembodied identity cachet i mean what did we do before before everybody had the internet in their houses Hmm. And what did people? What did people do? Oh, we read like, books, you, uh, build models, do puzzles. We had arguments about stuff because you yeah. couldn't check a fact. Oh yeah. So you'd sit and debate it for ages. Yeah, if you're into somebody that. Somebody would have to, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, it's yeah, it's weird. I often threaten that we're gonna take, we're gonna go offline for like a month or something. At your house, we never do. Yeah. Mm. Well, you're kind of mm-hmm. online. All the time. Yeah. Parker Posey online. Well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not, like I said, I've only got my very small Facebook. Um, and that, I can't really do political opinions because my, okay. 
you know, my mum's friend who I've known since I was three is not really interested <laughs> in uh, some of this stuff. I do put a little bit on it, but nothing like okay. yeah. Posey Parker. And I've only got a bit of Instagram. And then I just do YouTube. Mm-hmm. And then I, sometimes I don't for a little while because the MRAs and the MRAs I've managed to attract mm-hmm. by doing uh, trigonometry or Sargon, those people, they're not remotely interested. It, they um, don't want to hear anything that's to do with yeah. remotely feminist. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's you don't want to start censoring yourself either. So I'd rather... Mm-hmm not have to design something to facilitate to suit the audience yeah. because then it becomes inauthentic or some other crappy word like that it's really difficult to move between you know to get into these different groups to get into these different topics and then go to another topic and sympathize or to interact in a sympathetic manner with other people that this group is against and stuff it's really difficult mm. to do that your audience really it's disheartening my audience on on youtube has a very certain demand and a certain uh, perspective and they're they're saying it with every video which is fine which is great i don't want to stop them and stuff but it's kind of hard to not feel like i have to cater to that you know when i i would die inside if i had to cater to an audience if i didn't follow my curiosity so well you wouldn't get them you wouldn't get people watching you either if you started doing that because the reason they watched you in the first place is because you do things the way you do them yeah yeah but it's uh, it is funny, isn't it? When people go, "Oh, I'm going to unsubscribe because you know you just attacked men," and I'm thinking, I don't think I did, but fine. If you want to unsubscribe, that's great. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, if I wanted to build an audience, I'd, if I wanted to build a, a big audience, I'd probably either go very right wing, hmm. because I think there's such a lack of right wing stuff in mainstream. Yeah, that's why people like Stephen Crowder. I've got like 4 million or whatever subscribers because he's offering something that you just can't get anywhere else. Yeah. And like women in the intellectual dark web, those sort of women, they are either quite pro-porn um, or a bit anti-feminist. That's the only way apparently to get a huge male audience mm. is to um, <laughs> sort of half attack women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I like these women. I'm not saying I don't like these women, but I, I do. It, it's quite interesting that, hmm. um, and also loads of women just talk about women, which is really boring and not the intellectual dark web women. <laughs> but I mean, it, it's nice to talk about a plethora of stuff. But yeah. I, I like to think if we want to be seen as full humans, yeah. maybe just don't talk about women. Yeah. All uh, the time. Yeah, I, I mean, you have such a strong banner behind you. It says it says woman <laughs> at least twice and female once. So, I mean, th- which is a huge, you know, area to be in. But I wonder how you're going to branch out and if you're going to allow yourself to just go hog wild on some weird, strange, you know, topic about, you know, oil futures in the Sudan or something like that. I don't know. Well, I want to start talking about globalization. Oh, okay. And, the, uh, and that sort of... I, I, been talking to this lovely well, she won't come on my channel but she's a sort of uber left wing just incredible mind and she's switched me on hmm. to um to globalization well i've been thinking about it for a while and it's very difficult because that's another thing like the lgbt stuff kind of almost stepping to homophobia yeah globalization and talking about the negativity of globalization takes you really close to racism <laughs> And um, hmm. and sort of nationalism yeah. and things that 
you know, and then I've talked to nationalists who sort of say that they're not, and I think that's quite interesting because nationalism is very close to racism, um, mm. but but also not. And so it's, 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 it, we're in a very unique. I was speaking about with Bo Weingard yesterday at length about this. It's that uh, at least in the West, you have this very unique experiment of trying to get different ethnicities to to come together, and the, the nation as an idea is a way for these different tribes to go up to another rung of an us, a bigger us that doesn't dissolve into a universal us. So how do you navigate that? And I think that equating nationalism with racism or thinking of it as related actually misses the point that nationalism was an escape from ethnocentrism, actually, in a way, if handled correctly. Um, but, but the ties are that people who would call themselves nationalists yeah. or the people that I've heard of that are nationalists yeah. are also racist. Yeah. So as soon as or, you hear them... Or are nationalist- they stigmatized as racist by the globalists, well, but, right? Well, probably a little bit of both, isn't hmm. it? Um, you know, there's there have there have been people that I've mentioned. You mentioned him, but you got his name wrong. Tommy Robinson. Okay. I mentioned him once and said that I would like, you know, I'd like to know what these accusations are. Right. So he's been accused of all types of things. Yeah. And I casually, I just basically said, I'm now this. I'm a Nazi. I'm a bigot. I'm a transphobe, and I know that I'm not. And so this person is accused of that. And I just wonder whose agenda that serves, like what purpose that is, or is he genuinely all the things he's been accused of? Like, I'd like, I want to know what the, why he's accused of that. And that basically meant that I was obviously a, a Nazi bigot, just like him. Yeah. Uh, just for raising that question. So yeah. I just want to, I just want to get to the, I want to take the people that have been vilified and demonized and accused of the sort of things that I am. And I want to talk to those people about what they really said yeah. and did. I'm not saying that I'm having Tommy Robinson on my thing at all, by the way. That would be um, channel suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just generally, I'm not interested. Uh, plus, he's a bit of a thug. Um, but, you know, these all these people outside, like Sargon of Akkad, I went on his thing, and I found him a really affable nice bloke even saying that i have been going i'm going to unfollow you yeah yeah well and and that's why i was pushing uh, back uh, back against you earlier when we're when you brought up uh autogonophiles or agp men i'm like are are you vilifying them are they actually that way or are we seeing the worst of the worst like where's the line between you know somebody who's not uh, a danger and somebody who's who's using the transgender ideology to to affect their will who's who's a bad actor and and until you go and you look at the individual cases you can't really see so that's that's all i'm saying like if if you're going to vilify a group of people you're going to be vilified too like and and we we see that that's just that serve that it's always used to serve some sort of political agenda um even though like you have to be careful who you talk to yeah, well, I, I, yeah, I, I take your point about um, vilifying a, a whole group of people. I guess, I guess, I think it's ultimately um, insulting for somebody to think that by wearing a costume it makes them a woman. I guess I'm still at the point where hmm. actually I don't have it. I am a woman. Yeah. Um, 
and it's and it's not personal because like I said I've met some of these men and I you know I think they're quite nice people but I also know that some of those men behind closed doors have gaslighted their wives um, have transitioned when they've got kids I find that really I just think that's quite an abusive thing to do that you know once you have your children it doesn't mean you forgo everything in your lives but you do not get to identify out of being their father or their mother mm-hmm. um you know but I, I do take your point i i hope i'm quite a nice person in real life um but i think i have to take this i have to take the stand because what is at stake is so enormous for women and girls and and the children thing is the biggest deal isn't it yeah you know like Maybe I don't get, maybe I feel a bit uncomfortable in a women's toilet. Maybe, you know, uh, some women in prison, uh, something terrible happens to them. You know, the, the worst of all of this stuff that happens to women with the erasure of our rights is nothing in comparison to the mutilation of children's bodies. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, that is the, that's the breaking point for, for tolerance right there, is, mm. robbing, is robbing a minor of their development before they get to experience it or to experience the other side of it. Yeah. Well, I certainly intend on having, um, men who identify as trans. Oh, that's, I mean, that's just, that's entertainment, isn't it? That's, Hmm. that's, I don't see that that's any different to a a group gathering in, um, Hmm. Kuwait to watch a beheading. I think it's a savage, despicable, uh, thing for people to do to enjoy the slow destruction of a person's life Hmm. with the mother watching on like a monster Hmm. and the father spineless like maybe that's where feminism has had an impact because that man needed to if that man was that man was a traditional man of the house would judge jazz jennings have transitioned Hmm. you know if he if he wanted his son to be a boy and be a man would would that have happened mm-hmm. if he actually had a spine i don't i don't know that it would not many men go along with the transitioning of their kids except also quite narcissistic men so when i went to the senate no capital and saw uh sarah mcbride there was a really tall black man who was being interviewed and i mean he was they were talking about kids and they were talking about the black trans women murder rate like, like as if that's got anything to do with children transitioning that that black sex workers who happen to call themselves women are being killed i don't know you know black women that are sex workers are that are prostitutes are they also killed in high numbers is it greater if you've got a penis i have no idea what the cross in fact i think it's more likely that just black men will be killed than black men who call themselves trans um in, across America, I think the, the statistics don't bear out. But he was really proud. Like, it was his moment on camera. Because mm-hmm. they, they were doing this really high um, production film about this whole thing. And mm-hmm. he was really, you know, he really took the, took the microphone. He was giving this speech as if he was, like, bloody MLK. Mm-hmm. Um, just sort of standing there. And, and I just, I think those sort of men will go for it. But I don't know. Most dads are not mm-hmm. up for I allowing think there, their children to be there might be a difference between um, 
or there might be something else at work there with with what you described that person on the camera i think that one a certain level of the identity politic and the 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 activist game right now selects for people who enjoy the limelight so it doesn't matter what topic it's going to self-select for somebody who does present that because it's just a rights thing it's just the way that activism Mm -hmm. works in the high you know the the influencer media market i think there might be that going on too as long as with uh, certain strains of progressive activism have that kind of um they select for narcissists it just happens you know mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> i i frequently ask myself I'm a narcissist <laughs> i think it's a it's a healthy um it's a healthy thing to be worried about that yeah. your um you know, I, the, the side the side bit of gaining um, this sort of thing where somebody yeah. invites you on a podcast, you know, it's a great thing. It's it's very enjoyable, but uh, it's not the reason I do it. But it's a nice mm. it's a nice side issue. Well, I've never done any other activism, so that's what keeps telling me. That's what helps me understand that I'm not in it for the limelight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't understand how that stuff works. I, I usually forget about it, and then I have to wallow in my feeling of being nobody while being somebody at the same time. It's a weird dynamic. I, I talk about it in my live streams, which is my narcissistic kind of like free-for-all, you know, my pity party, with, <laughs> usually with some sort of whiskey right now. Well, we, um, yeah, um, yeah. You've just made me think about the... <sighs> the compassion that I that I do have, which I don't express for people going through it. And it's very weird because men invading my spaces, I have no compassion for whatsoever. Um, the young women and men that I see as vulnerable, I have heaps of com- compassion. But I think the people I least have any compassion for are the men that have previously, are the heterosexual men um, who... You know, and, and obviously the celebrity men who like mm. speaking the way they do about, you know, women are making a, a, a thing for themselves about mm. being so brave. You know, the fact that the UN had a 19-year-old man as the UN woman, like woman of the day for International yeah. Women's Day. Yeah. Um, I, I have no sympathy for those people. But the the other people caught in this, mm-hmm. no, you just wonder with... with even the people that that we've mentioned, if there was no such thing in the media as gender dysphoria, would they have had it? It's a, it's a well-documented condition, but it's not as prevalent. Uh, it was not a, as prevalent until it, be, it became a fad, but I think it, it's been around for quite a while. The male brain is a weird thing. It, it does some really weird things in development. There's a lot of variation. So do you, do you think they would have... Do you think, like... 40 years ago there were people with I don't, and I don't I think AGP is a very different thing to gender dysphoria so I think AGP has existed for longer mm-hmm. um, but do we really think that like 60 years ago gender dysphoria existed there's you should you should have uh, James Cantor on he, he's a he's a, a very well versed researcher in in uh, sex, uh, uh, paraphilias they're called, but he knows yeah. about all. He he he's, he would probably shock you with some of his uh, uh, 
his ideas on things, but uh, it's all fact based as far as I can tell. He's very, he's kind of a well, kind of Vulcanish in the way that he thinks about things. <laughs> but a sexual fetish, and that being something in the human condition, especially yeah. in particular for men, that has last that has kind of been around for a really long time and they manifest in different ways but the ultimate bit of the receptors and the brain and blah 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 yeah. are the same that's one thing that i can understand okay but the the specific of gender dysphoria of wanting to be the other sex mm-hmm. i I'd, I'd be really interested to find out what we called it before we called it that mm-hmm. and whether or not we documented it before we called it that yeah you know yeah, it's been around for a while. As far as I've I've spoke with uh, Ray Blanchard and um, uh, Michael Bailey and uh, Kenneth Zucker, who've all been studying. Uh, Kenneth Zucker spent uh, has done a lot of work with gender dysphoric uh, children. Um, he's they're all incredibly brilliant men uh, that have been involved in this before it was cool, and we're getting in trouble and canceled by these people before it was cool to get canceled. Um, <laughs> but their their research goes back pretty far. Yeah, well, like, that's why I think the but gender dysphoria now can't be the same. You know, not everybody has gender dysphoria. Who it got conflated. It became dysphoria. it became a political issue, and then it became kind of a, a trendy thing. So it's really hard to get through all the noise. But there is, but that noise was based on certain instances. And and if you parse through and you start interviewing people one on one, they'll they'll start to tell you just different variations of stories that they kind of open open the conversation up um beyond the the political level into the more the psychological level mm-hmm. um have you ever seen that there's a documentary about um by adam curtis and there's a segment in it about a little girl and she it was a it was nearly a whole timer on antidepressants mm. and they take these antidepressants they go to the psychologist and the psychologist would ask questions like you feel better now don't you mm. Oh, you're so much happier now, aren't you? And I think there's such a strong theme of that in this whole hmm. so-called gender dysphoria that that what happens when they realise they weren't gender dysphoric mm-hmm. at all? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, I'll take I'll take these men's view on this. I just I just have a bit of a, a thing about. The moment we label something, we then make yeah. it something, and, and maybe before the label, then we would have just talked to these kids, and yeah, it wouldn't have become a thing. Like I wonder when you when you la- when you call something something, yeah. it becomes something else. You know, if if I if every time I looked at my finger, I saw a sausage, right? Yeah, <laughs> um, and that didn't have a name. I just think it was silly and I wouldn't focus on it and it would disappear. Yeah. But someone then said, oh, that's called um, sausage finger. It's like a really common thing in Germany. <laughs> then would I then, <laughs> sorry, it was the first thing that came into my head. Yeah, that's sausage fine. I like it. It's great. I have no idea. But then would I then think about my sausage finger and how debilitating my sausage finger is and how seeing this thing and how it meant that I didn't really want to wear jewelry anymore because oh. I had this, Sausage finger. <laughs> do you know what? Do you know what I'm trying to yeah. say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the, the diagnostic. Uh, I I was just speaking with Stella O'Malley. Uh, do you know her? She. Yes. Okay. Um, you should have her on your show if if you. Did. Well, I've met Stella. I did a trans kids need to talk. Oh, okay. It's time to talk. I was, uh, <laughs> I was in that. 
I'm the fat woman that waddles. I'm a. I talk on it, but I also walk like <laughs> so. It doesn't look like I watch it, and I. It's the most awful thing. And I didn't know I walked like that, and I hope I don't walk like that. But obviously, I've been looked at. So see I just, now, now I you're walking like, dysphoric. See, this is this is the thing. You've diagnosed yourself with fat walk, and now you see that all the time. <laughs> well, it's kind of I, like. If anyone says to you, walk, remember when you used to try and shoes on as a kid? Mm-hmm. And someone would say, now can you walk? And then you don't, you don't know how you walk. Yeah. You sort of forget that how you just put one foot in, and it becomes like a, am I walking too much? Am I putting my feet down? Do I normally walk like this? And you can't walk. I think, anyway, but go back to Stella and Molly. I'm just... Well, no, she was talking about di- uh, diagnostic stuff. I, I think you should interview... I'm sorry, I'm just going to give you uh, suggestions. You should, okay, you you should talk to Lisa Marciano, too, about uh, speaking with gender dysphoric youth and uh, spe- mm-hmm. specifically about... Uh, uh, how women um, discover femininity and, and womanhood in this day and age and how that's so radically changed that they don't have a map to become themselves or to be, to deal with being a woman. Now uh, there, this other ideology is giving them this other happy place of being non-binary or a man and running away from the richness and the power and the responsibility and the problems of being a woman, which there, there are a lot, they're very well documented, mm-hmm. but you can't just escape from that stuff. But the, the narrative right now is just not there for, for young women to, to really mature. Do you think, it was, do you think the traditional model, hmm. and I'd say this tentatively, do you think the traditional model of what a woman was hmm. made for holistically more happy women per hundred than this new idea. Like 50 years ago, yeah. women maybe didn't, well, what was that, 1970? So maybe 100 years ago, yeah. were women more miserable individually in their, their lives being oppressed um or were actually the structure which we talk about with children the structure of our society which told them what they were do you think ultimately people were happier well if you look at certain strains of feminism it's another just way of telling women who to be and what they are and what they're not (laughs) (laughs) so i mean you, you just you swapped out one one narrative for another i think that that casting the relationship between man and woman as the oppressor and the oppressed is horribly damaging to the psychology psychology of women, men, and relationships on a, on a societal level. And if we can get back to uh, just reinvigorating the relationship between men and women on on a societal level, on the story level, what is it to be a partner? What is heterosexuality? What is what is that? about and how do you tell the story of being a woman in a relationship with a man i think there's there's plenty of tradition and richness in that i think that our our desire again to tinker with things will always kind of want to rebel against superstructures and and mm. uh, so I, I don't know the answer to your question but i think that a lot i think that there's a lot of trade-offs when you when you get liberation liberatory uh, attitudes come into a traditional culture, it, it'll do a lot of freeing and it'll do, it'll inject a lot of chaos. And I think usually only the smart will survive. I think that it favors the highly intelligent to be able to make themselves and to spend a lot of attention on producing themselves. And the people who mm-hmm. aren't really good at that are actually. Uh, 
do a lot of suffering because then they, yeah. they they don't know how to invent themselves so they just glom on to whatever's the most coolest thing or the, mm. the thing that the, a certain level a uh, number of people need an authoritarian structure um yeah but now whether it's explicit or or implicit is a different manner and so we're trying to navigate a society where you can be free but not strip out the the actuality that a lot of people don't know what to do with a lot of freedom yeah well it's like um sorry my son is in our gym next door and all i can hear <laughs> can you hear i hear some squishy i think that's me that might be me <laughs> all i can hear is clunk clunk i don't i think it's might be on the rowing machine um oh dear anyway uh what we say men and women yeah i just wonder like we had this thing in the 1980s. I may have discussed with this, this with you before, so sorry if I'm boring. But in the 1980s, mm -hmm. the tabloid press really went crazy about single mothers, right? Mm -hmm. And they were evil about single mothers. You know, then immigration happened and they sort of oh. went for immigrants or whatever. You know, okay. we, we replace our demons, don't we? But there's always somebody that's, mm -hmm. that's the demon, uh, the target. Um, and we went from guilt and shame for these women, um, instead of thinking what we're doing as a society that means these women just want to, these young women, very young teenage mothers, want to be single parents and why aren't they aspiring to do something else? We sort of just demonized and blamed them. Uh, and we sort of shamed them. Then what we did is we took away the shame. And that shame just came away from everything. So people neither have pride in things that they do hmm. or shame so my grandparents um lived in a council house and in a council sort of cul-de-sac so all the houses were the same and in those front gardens they were well-tended lawns they were sort of pansies and flowers around a border everyone would clean their car on a sunday um you know everybody had clean windows and they cleaned themselves because they couldn't afford to get anyone in uh, and houses were immaculate and there was there was a real pride and I don't know what happened mm. that we sort of stopped shame and pride but actually I think they're really good control mechanisms mm -hmm. for society mm -hmm. not that somebody can't bloody help whatever's happened to them should yeah. feel shame but it is useful well, I think I think the I think the the twist you, you mentioned the twist. It's that it, it, I think it shifted away from what you do and what you make to what you are and what you look like. Right? It shifted away from I guess your trade to your so-called identity. Right? And like back in uh, medieval times, like you were called like Stephen Miller because you were a Miller. Right? You were named after the activity you did. Like John Smith was a Smith, and we we've mm. kind of gone into this. Uh, and maybe again, it's that hierarchy of needs. It's like we, what you do doesn't matter because we're in a. I don't know if you want to go neoliberal, weird, uh, post uh, hyper capitalist uh, economy, or mm. everybody's a barista. So, but that's not something that you're actually doing. You're just making somebody it's else's coffee. So you have to have a identity because that's something that you actually make because you yeah. can't actually make anything with your hands anymore so no well that's that's another so, that's but, like the, but the regular the, the regulatory uh pride and shame is it's still there but it's just it's just switched to something that's kind of really mm. ephemeral but the, also the making things with our hands you know society has changed somewhat because 
men are no longer the provider either yeah. because you yeah. don't get like what does a non-academic kid boy uh, what does he now do when he leaves school? You know, for, my father was really academic, but he couldn't afford to stay on at school after 15. Yeah. So he sort of sorted sheepskins. And yeah. he was employed in that first job for 15 years. His father worked in Clark shoes for his entire adult life. Yeah. You know, until he retired. Yeah. <sighs> but, yeah, it's... Uh, hmm. I really want to... I really do want to get into the the whole what happened what happened and when and how did this how do we end up here where it's unfashionable for a 13 year old to be straight hmm. yeah it's a big topic it'll keep you busy for a while <laughs> <laughs> well i'm hoping so i hope i haven't been too much of a an ass that no um hmm. people that call themselves trans would would come on and talk to me because i i am intrigued at the the very essence of what it is they believe they're doing yeah it's not my it's not the biggest interest that i have i'm yeah. you know i'm i think you know I've, I've got a very simple my husband's a really black and white non-political decent human hmm. is that is that the did you make a shirt for him that says that uh, black and white, <laughs> non-political, decent human. <laughs> no, but I do have men shirts. You, you should, have you should foist that flag on your house. Oh, it, it's really. I don't think I could do this if he wasn't. I mean, if he was political, mm. um, you know, we, I, I probably couldn't do this. Yeah, it caused yeah. too many rows. Yeah, well, you, yeah, you get to venture into this domain, and he can. Yeah. Keep you grounded. But, but from, I mean, he's very lucky. He's worked at the same company for 24 years. Mm -hmm. uh, but he doesn't do a manual job. Yeah. He can barely hang a shelf. <laughs> so I do all the DIY in the house. I like doing floors. I like lay wooden floors and fix a boiler if it goes and everything. Because I'm, I'm a bit of a, I'm one of those people that I think I can do everything. Yeah. I think I can do anything. <laughs> I can. <laughs> I want to. Sometimes it works. Sometimes I lay something like, oh, I'll do. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> and if he sort of curl, yeah. But that's, yeah, anyway. But, I, yeah, I'm going to do these interviews. I'll have you on. I'd really like to talk to you about all your evergreen stuff. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, totally. Because you're... Um, have you watched some of it? You've done so much. Yeah. Yeah, I have. It's just... <laughs> it's... um. You know, some of these things are microclimates, aren't they, of exactly what is happening mm -hmm. everywhere. Yeah. And that is that is perfect. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'll try and be more human, shall I? Well, just a little bit. I like the Marilyn. <laughs> I like the Marilyn. You know. <laughs> I, like, I don't know. Being iconic is really important. It's really powerful. Well, I do, I, I do think institutions can't be as hard-lined as I am. Yeah. But you do need your hardliners. Yeah. As long as it doesn't, as long as it doesn't really lose compassion and 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 everyone, you know, I I, I don't wish harm to people yeah. except those that wish harm on yeah. me, and then yeah. I'm I'm quite yeah nasty. Well, yeah, but um, also like being a hard, being too hardline also boxes you in too, so you can't like you can't explore things. It, it'll it'll keep you defined like that. Even the definition woman, adult, human, female will come to define you. 
right? Like even though even though that's a statement that's really necessary right now, like eventually you're gonna have to go beyond that to, to saying something else to, to thinking about things other than just definitions. It's really important to define that. But but just the act of defining things is one mode of communication. Um, mm. Well until we don't yeah. until we're not losing our language, that'll yeah. be that'll be you know if I end up just being that the only thing that I've offered to this debate, I, I'm, yeah. I'm quite pleased. Yeah. You know, it does seem to be, it is quite global. Um, and it ha- I, I do think it will stand the test of time as, as an act, yeah. as something that happened. And, and yeah. still getting people. No, no. It, it, like there was just a, a roustabout about it a couple of weeks ago where like the flag got foisted somewhere and they're like, oh, no. Take that down! Yeah. You're like, you're like idiots. That, it's so easy. It's like it's so easy, like to trigger people. It's the same thing with that OK right. symbol. You know, it's like this is white nationalist now. Oh no, a national guard man made that symbol. It's like, well, the thing like it's okay to be white where people. Oh, have... that one. Yeah. I mean, I was that too far for you? No, I think the fact I, if people can't see that the response to that sentence is alarming in itself and that they've started to think that there's value to that sentence beyond it just being it's okay to be white that should tell us that we're in troubled times yeah it doesn't mean isn't everyone a rabid racist it means that some things have become unsaid some really basic things have become unsayable yeah and that should be the alarming thing yeah um you know the, the all those sort of language tricks like when was the last when did you stop beating your wife you yeah, know, those sort of those those little linguistic tricks that that take you somewhere. Um, that should we should pay attention to those because that's a really good barometer of where we are. Yeah, if if the if the hyper if the hyper social justice people had their way, we'd probably uh, in probably about a week there'd be a big ad campaign about accepting the virus. You know, it's okay to be infected. Like 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 that's xenophobic to not want to wash your hands. You know, to have any sort of borders to to stay inside your house when there are people outside on the streets right now. We should all go mm. out. You know, like that that madness is. Like in 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 an actual dire situation, a lot of that virtue just vanishes. Like like at, at the Evergreen College, every year they or at every event they say we're on stolen land and this land is ceded by the Indians illegally. You know, like they do this whole virtue signal. But then the last the last big event they have, instead of doing that, they're like, we want to acknowledge that the coronavirus is coming through and we're all worried about that. Like the actual problem de- demolishes the virtue signal. Like it, it's an acid test for, for a lot of different yeah, yeah. Well, this is, you know, these are the things that I think we're going to have an economic like, yeah. crisis on as well. So we'll see. that might stop people saving up for needless surgery. Yeah. Well, yeah. We'll see. But yeah, well, I think this is, I think, honestly, uh, deaths aside, <laughs> I think this, this virus might be, uh, it will change the world. Yeah. And I, I think it may do some some good. It's as well a really as hard things. reset. And it's not going to be easy. But I think we can afford a little austerity. I think we can afford that. I mean, deaths aside, like I don't mean to lighten up the, the actual <laughs> load and the suffering that's going to happen. I, I mean, like on the economic level and and uh, the, this just resetting is possible. Yeah. We can take advantage of it, and it might actually help us um, on a cultural level. You know, all you need now 
is some massive failure of all internet servers. Oh. Uh, just for like, I don't know, could happen for a week. I wonder how we'd survive. <laughs> Can you imagine? Because when you watch these things, you know, like in the 80s, they'd have these really scary, this is what's going to be, and the TV starts talking to you and controlling you and stuff. Yeah. I'm thinking, you know, we, maybe we'll be there. Maybe we'll have some weird thing where we all depend on this crazy thing yeah. where you can do everything online in a heartbeat. Yeah. And then you can't do it anymore. Yeah. But anyway... I've, anyway. We've been talking so long. Yeah, nice two-hour chunk. Thanks Sorry. for thanks for your time. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for that video that I stole and You're I forgot welcome. to reference. Oh, it. I don't Sorry. care about that sort of yeah, stuff. She was good though. I thought she was very clear. She was good, That's and good. I've, t I've told them all. I'm going to have her on. Good. Uh, to my channel, um, and I've reached out to another young lady in the audience as okay. well because I'm very intrigued by these women. Um, you know. I've, I think it's whilst these people are having no time in the mainstream and are being characterized as monsters. Yeah. You no, know, you hear MRA and mm -hmm. what most of us think is men that really hate women. And I've yet to meet one that I didn't think held a little bit of a grudge, but most of them have just been mm -hmm. through the family courts and it's, yeah. they've come out the other side. But then I know women that have, you know, yeah. I know some terrible things that have happened to women in family courts as well. Yeah. So I think they're just shoddy places. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. <laughs> Ms. See you Parker. later. Have a good night. <laughs> Cheers. Bye. Congratulations for reaching the end of the podcast. If you enjoyed this product, consider donating to this channel via paypal.me slash Benjamin Boyce or joining me on Patreon. Also follow me on Twitter at Benjamin A. Boyce. Have a good night. <laughs>